Joseph settled back in Canaan and his first and most beloved wife Rachel now dead in childbirth with her son Benjamin Jacob showered his affection upon his firstborn by Rachel his favourite child Joseph and unfortunately he did this in a manner which was very demonstrative which made him unpopular with his other 11 brothers. His brothers, seeing that he was his father's favourite, hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. They became jealous of him, and especially when Jacob made his affection particularly obvious by giving him a beautiful coat of many colours. And their dislike of him became even greater when he related to them two dreams which he had had. In the first dream he saw himself and his brothers binding sheaves of corn in a field, when his brothers' sheaves bowed down to his. The second time he dreamt that the sun, the moon and the eleven stars worshipped him. Shortly after this, Joseph was sent by his father to inquire after the welfare of his brothers, who were tending their flocks at Sikkim. When they saw Joseph coming, however, they proposed to kill him. And at the request of Reuben, they stripped him of his coat of many colours and cast him into a dry well, with the intention of leaving him there to perish, rather than have their blood, his blood on their hands. It so happened, however, that some Ishmaelite merchants chanced to come by that way on their way to Egypt. And so Judah proposed that they should sell Joseph to the merchants as a slave. So this was agreed upon, and in the absence of Reuben, who had intended actually secretly to release him and restore him to his father, he was sold to the merchants for 20 pieces of silver. The brothers then dipped Joseph's coat into the blood of a kid and took it home to Jacob, who, upon seeing it, concluded that some wild beast had devoured his son. He tore his garments, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for a very long time. In the meantime, Joseph was taken into Egypt and sold to Putiphar, one of the chief officers of the king. There he so pleased his master that he was put in full charge of the entire household, and God blessed the house of the Egyptian for the sake of Joseph. The Egyptian lord, being a man of consequence, often had to leave home, and his wife became enamoured of the handsome young Egyptian uh, Hebrew who was a, uh, so efficient and so competent in administering the estate. She became besotted with him and tried to persuade Joseph to sin with her. This so shocked him that he ran away from her presence. But as she was grasping at his garments, he left his garment behind in her hands, so that it made it easy for her to falsely accuse him to her husband of attempting to commit sin with her. Putiphar, of course, believed his wife's story and had Joseph cast into prison, where he remained for about three years. Again, even although a prisoner, Joseph so made an impression and so pleased the chief jailer 
that he, in due course, became the superintendent of all the prisoners, even although he was a prisoner himself. And this was the prison where the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, sent a, uh, those whom he had personally condemned himself. And so in the prison there were the two servants of Pharaoh. One was his chief butler and the other was his chief baker. And it so happened that one night both of these men had a dream. And they could not understand that which had troubled them so much. So they spoke to Joseph about the matter. And by God's help he was able to explain to them the meaning of the dreams. The butler had seen a vine growing. From which he gathered the grapes and pressed the juice into a cup and presented it to Pharaoh. Joseph told him that soon he would be restored to his former situation. The baker, on the other hand, had dreamed that he carried on his head three baskets, and in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked breads, which the birds came and ate. Joseph told the baker that in three days he would be taken out of prison and be condemned finally to death. Everything happened as Joseph had foretold, and the butler promised to speak to the king on Joseph's behalf once he was released. But of course, by then, he had forgotten his promise, and Joseph remained in prison for two more years. At the end of that time, Pharaoh himself had two dreams, which greatly terrified him. In the first dream, he saw seven cows, fat and beautiful, feeding by the banks of the river Nile. But as they fed, seven others, lean and famished, came up and devoured them. The king awoke, and falling asleep again, he dreamt that he saw seven ears of corn growing upon one stalk, full and very fair. But seven others, also thin and blighted, sprang up, and they devoured the beauty of the former. When the morning was come, Pharaoh sent for all the wise men of Egypt, and he related to them his dreams. But no one was found who could interpret them. Then the chief butler remembered Joseph, and he told the king that there was in prison a Hebrew youth who could interpret the dreams. Joseph was sent for to the palace. And when the king related his dreams and asked for the meaning, Joseph told the king that the seven beautiful cows and the seven full ears of corn foretold seven years of unusual abundance, which would be followed by seven years of famine, shown by the seven lean cows and the seven blighted ears of corn. He advised the king to choose a wise and a prudent man to gather together such abundant stores of grain as would keep the people from starvation during the years of famine. Pharaoh could think of no person as fit as Joseph himself, who had shown such remarkable wisdom, and so he had once made him his chief minister. During the seven years of plenty, Joseph built vast warehouses, where he laid up enormous stocks of grain. Then followed the seven years of famine, and the people went to the king for food, but he said, Go to Joseph. Not only the Egyptians, but people of distant countries came to buy corn from Egypt. When the money failed the buyers, Joseph gave them corn in exchange for the cattle and horses, and when these were exhausted, he purchased their lands for corn. Thus, the whole land of Egypt became under the direct control of Pharaoh. And the population, a, uh, the agricultural population, 
became tenant farmers, and in due course, it was made a law that they had to pay to Pharaoh each year a fifth of their produce. So, ironically, it was Joseph who strengthened the crown of Egypt and made Pharaoh even mightier in the land. Canaan, where Jacob was living, soon also suffered from the famine. And hearing that food might be bought in Egypt, Jacob sent his ten sons to buy corn. But he wouldn't allow Benjamin to go. He wanted to keep him behind with him, since he was the only remaining child of Rachel, in case any harm should befall him. When the brothers reached Egypt, they were taken before Joseph, who at once recognised them. But of course, they had no idea who he was. He pretended to be harsh with them. He called them spies and he asked them many questions about their circumstances and their family and put them in prison for three days. He then allowed them to return, but he insisted on keeping Simeon as a prisoner until they brought their brother Benjamin as a proof that their story was true and that they were not spies or dangerous to the Egyptian state. Meanwhile, he gave orders that the money which they had paid for the corn should be placed in the mouth of each, of each one's sack. On their return home to their father, they found that their money, and they were very much astonished, and so was, of course, Jacob, their father, when they told him all that had happened to them. In due course again, the corn which they bought was all consumed, but for a long time Jacob refused to part with Benjamin, nor allow them to return to Egypt. But at last he yielded, and gave him into Judah's hands, who pledged himself to bring him back to safety. They then returned to Joseph, taking double money, in order to restore that which they had found in their sacks, and they likewise took a present of spice to Joseph. Once they arrived in Egypt, they were led to the palace and kindly received by Joseph, who ordered Simeon to be brought to them, and a great feast was prepared. Again, they prepared to return. Once more their sacks were filled and the money returned to them. And at the same time Joseph ordered his own silver drinking cup to be put into Jacob's, uh, Benjamin's sack. The next morning they all left on their journey with Simeon and Benjamin. But before they had gone very far, Joseph's steward overtook them and charged them with stealing his master's cup. They, of course, were terrified at the accusation, and they bade him to search their sacks, and declared that the owner of the sack in which the cup should be found should become Joseph's slave. They at once opened their sacks to prove their innocence, when, to their dismay, the cup was in Benjamin's sack. Rending their garments and pierced with sorrow, they returned into the city to Joseph. And they threw themselves on the ground before him and appealed to Joseph on behalf of their father. And Judah offered himself to remain as a slave, as a substitute, so that the old man might not be deprived of Benjamin. Inevitably, this brought to mind the sin of the brothers. It brought to mind the sin of having sold Joseph, their father's favourite son, 
And now they were afraid that it would be necessary to send the next and the only child of Rachel as a prisoner and a slave in Egypt. The thought of his father's love and sorrows, however, quite overcame Joseph. And dismissing his servants, he made himself known to his brothers. And he bade them to go back and to bring his father and all his property into Egypt. When Jacob heard that Joseph was the ruler of all over Egypt, he was astonished and filled with joy. And he cried, It is enough if my son Joseph is let alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so the whole family of Jacob, who were now called Hebrews or Israelites, were settled by Joseph through, a, uh, through his intercession and with Pharaoh in the land of Jesson, which was the northern part of Egypt near the Nile Delta. And this part of Egypt was given over to them, and there they tended their flocks under the protection of the Pharaoh of that time. In due course, after 17 years, Jacob, who was now 147 years old, found that his end was near, and so he sent for Joseph and made him a promise not to bury him in Egypt, but to take him to the burying place of his fathers in Hebron. Then he blessed the two sons of Joseph, and curiously as he blessed them, he crossed his hands, making a sign resembling a cross by the inspiration of God, and he placed his right hand not on the elder, but on the younger, once again, and he bestowed upon him a more ample blessing. And again we see how God has demonstrated and God has prophesied in the case of Cain and Abel, in the case of Esau and Jacob, and now in the case of Manasseh and Ephraim, that he will prefer the younger to the elder. A prophecy of his preference, ultimately, of the Gentiles over the true inheritors of the kingdom who should have been the chosen people. And to Judah, of his twelve sons, he gave the great patriarchal blessing of Abraham and Isaac, saying, The scepter shall not be taken away from Judah until he come that is to be sent, and he shall be the expectation of nations. As a clear prophecy of the fact that our blessed Lord would be a descendant of Judah. After the death of his father, Joseph had him embalmed, and seventy days were spent in mourning, as was usual at the death of a chief in Egypt. And then Joseph set out with his brethren to bury the body in the cave at Mambri. There he was accompanied by all the nobility of Egypt, and so numerous an escort that the inhabitants of Canaan called the place at which they rested the mourning of Egypt. After some time, Joseph also died, at the age of 110 years, living to see the children of Ephraim to the third generation. 
and before dying he foretold that God would one day take him back to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he made them swear that they would carry his bones with them when that day came, that, that he may rest there with his fathers. In this beautiful life of Joseph, and its beautiful and wonderful simplicity, it sketches out to us one of the most beautiful characters presented in the whole of the Bible. As a boy, Joseph was filled with the most vivid horror for the evil of his brothers. And as a youth, unfortunately, sometimes censoriously, he resisted with unflinching courage the solicitations both of his brothers to evil and also of the wife of his master once he had gone into Egypt. When he was cast into prison, he displayed great power of endurance and he trusted to God for his justification even although it was long in coming. He continued to show great courage and confidence even when he was raised to responsibilities in prison and ultimately even to become the Viceroy of Egypt. He showed by his skillful and energetic efforts to promote the welfare of his adopted countrymen and the extension of the power of his master, which showed a complete and selfless devotion. This character and these characteristics of Joseph made him truly a worthy type of Christ himself, who is the model of all perfection. And in Joseph we can see a sum of the traits of resemblance between him and the Son of God, just as Joseph was the beloved son of Jacob, and our blessed Lord is the beloved son of God, we can see how he was hated and cast out by his brethren, just as Jesus was to be. And yet, nevertheless, he wrought their salvation through the sufferings which they had brought upon him. Like Jesus, Joseph obtained his exaltation only after having passed through the deepest and the most undeserved humiliations. And in the kingdom over which he ruled, he invited his brethren to join those whom previously they had looked upon as strangers, in order that they all together might enjoy the blessings which he had stored up for them. Like Jesus, Joseph only had words of forgiveness and blessing for all those who, recognising their own misery, had recourse to his supreme power, as was the case of the brothers in their misery and famine when they came to have recourse to him in order to obtain the necessaries to eat. It was to Joseph of old, just as it is now to Jesus, that they had to appeal for help and for relief in all their miseries and to render him obedience in all things. So as the Pharaoh said that they were to go to Joseph, so are we told to go to our Lord. 
And also we can see in the figure of Joseph, a figure of Saint Joseph, to whom likewise the church has applied these words, that we are to go to him in all of our temporal needs, that he, Joseph, also, Saint Joseph is the figure of purity, the figure of good government, the figure of prudent and wise living. And finally, it was given to Joseph, as to Jesus, to inaugurate a completely new order of things for the greater power and for the glory of God. To the king who had given him his exaltation. And so also, as Joseph became instrumental in increasing the power and the glory of Pharaoh and rendering all things into his hands, so does our Saviour, Jesus Christ, render all things to his heavenly Father in the kingdom which is to come.